Welcome to The Chapel Online. At The Chapel, we're about helping people meet, know, and follow Jesus on the campus, in the city, and around the world. Well, happy Easter to you. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. We're here to celebrate Easter. That's no big surprise. That's why you're here. And it doesn't matter how infrequently you might come to church or how frequently you come, you know what today is about. And so if you've been a first time or the first time in a long time, let me say, we're so glad you're here. (coughs) I'm going to put a mint in my mouth because I've already begun to cough. It's as predicted. I came prepared. (coughs) Excuse me. Des, I left my water. Would you mind handing it to me right there? Thank you, sir. Let me try that all over again. Hey, good morning. Happy Easter. (laughs) I feel like I'm doing better now. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And that's what we're here to celebrate. We are joining millions of Christians all over the world. The Greek Orthodox Church will celebrate it a week. Their calendar is different, so they'll be celebrating. So it's Easter week from this Sunday to next Sunday all over the world. And if you're here today visiting with your family, you're here for the baptism, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us. We are a church that um, looks to the Word of God for our authority. And so that's where we'll be today. We'll be in John chapter 20. And so if you have a Bible, or as Andrew said, or device, you can go there. But we're celebrating something that even if you don't go to church, you, you understand what you're getting into. And when you consider the resurrection, some people think, well, it's a beautiful symbol of something that Jesus was trying to teach us, maybe about new beginnings, new life, springtime. Others might see it as uh, some truth that had some point somewhere in history, but maybe it's moved or changed. Other people actually believe it's a complete hoax. And maybe you're here, and that's part of your disposition, that this is one more thing that the church historically has used to control people. Many of us here at the chapel believe it's not only um, important, but it's a historical fact. It happened in time and space. And even if that is what you believe, I think there are times in our modern age where believing that God of the universe transcends time and space, comes into our our space, comes into our world, and does something, that seems to be harder and harder to believe because it seems like in so many ways science has proved everything that we might want to know and more and can explain so many things. So we're going to look at the resurrection of Jesus through the eyes of Mary Magdalene today. And at the resurrection something transcendent happened, something outside of our everyday activity entered into our time and space, and Jesus was raised. Now, transcendent is a big word, and it's a good word, but we know there are kids in the room. So if you're under 14, I want you to uh, look up here for just a second and see if you can tell me uh, what images I'm about to ask to be put on the screen. Not yet. Don't put it just yet. Because every day we live... Is it already there? Did it, it came and went? Sorry. I'm glad y'all are paying attention. Every day, we experience things, we lean into things we cannot see. We cannot see. So, kids, adults don't yell out the answer. 
What does this symbol represent? Anybody? Yes. Battery life? No, not battery life. Good guess, though. Jesus, better answer, but not, no, not yet. It represents a signal, right? A, a, a cell signal, a radio wave on a high frequency. This tells you that there is one and how strong it is. And I've seen people in the woods, on the rivers of the Amazon, out in the ocean, like they're desperate for our signal. I can, do I have a signal? Do I have a signal? The more bars we have, the stronger the signal. Can we see those uh, radio waves? No, we cannot. But they're there, and there's something that tells us. Okay, here's another one. Maybe you can tell me what this one means. This is the Wi-Fi wedge. This is what we all live by now. These two signals determine all of life, do they not? Is there Wi-Fi? Do you have Wi-Fi? Can I get on Wi-Fi? How strong is the signal? I can't see it. Most of us in the room couldn't tell us how it operates. All we know to do is look for that little signal and say, yes, there's Wi-Fi, or no, there's not. And if there's not, we're changing coffee shops and we're moving on, right? I can't believe we checked into this hotel and there's no Wi-Fi. It's that important. But guess what? None of us see it. We just, we just experience it. It transcends our senses. We can't hear those radio waves. We cannot perceive them. And so you get my point. Do you not? That, that something transcendent happens. But for many people that have moved away from religion and from the miraculous, because science may have seemed to prove everything. Maybe you are a follower of Jesus and you struggle with this reality too. The miraculous, the transcendent. It's hard to get our minds around sometimes. Maybe you have felt that way. Transcendence is a big idea, but there's another one that we want to introduce today. It drives much of what we do, much of what we think about, something whether you believe Jesus rose from the dead or not, it occupies your thoughts. And that is imminence. The idea that is something with us. The idea that we can be known. The idea that deep down inside of us, somebody knows us and loves us. Now, when I was a child, I struggled with the croup. Anybody here ever struggle with the croup? Show of hands. Glad it's gone. Everybody's been healed of it. Well, when I was, you know, now if you have it, it's, it's when your uh, throat swells up and you can't breathe. It's pretty frightening when you're three and four and five. And um, now they just cover your mouth and your nose and they, they get the swelling to go down so you can breathe. But when I was a child, you know, 1,600 years ago, um, they put you in a little tent, a little see-through plastic tent in the hospital. You had to go to the hospital. And, and when I would get, regain my composure and be able to see through the plastic tent, do you want to know what I was looking for? What every kid in the hospital is looking for. Their parents. Somebody that loves them, that knows them, that can help them, that can answer their questions, that can hold them. And this is what eminence means. So we have two pictures. Transcendence, what we can't see, but still is all around us. And God's activity, I'm saying, is that and his eminence, his presence, his personal attention to us like a parent in the hospital. So those are our two concepts as we go in to this, um, to, the, to the biblical passage. So I want to stop and pray, as we often do here, 
Because everybody is bringing something in today. It is a burden. Maybe it's the schedule for the rest of the day. Maybe it's a burden that you have. Maybe it's you're mourning the loss of a loved one that is not here this Easter and you wish they were. And so we're not unaware that when you come in and you try to bring your heart and your head in to be encouraged by the word of God, this can weigh you down. So if you'll allow me to pray for us. Father God, in this room with so many of us here, we pause and we ask that you would comfort those who grieve, that you would open the eyes of those who are searching, that you would instill hope in those that have found themselves hopeless, that you'd bring clarity for those who are confused and for those that are so full of joy that are here simply to celebrate. Lord, we thank you that there are seasons where celebration is easy, where joy is abundant. And so we thank you for all of these things. And we pray in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. In John 20, verse 1, it says this. I'm going to read about 18 verses. So listen as I read. Very early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. She came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started to the tomb, both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Abram, who preached our sunrise service, said, that's two friends that are very competitive, and one is pointing out that he's faster than the other. I thought that was a good observation. It would be John, the author of the gospel. John bent over and looked, into, looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. And when Simon Peter came along behind him, he went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in his place, separate from the linen, like someone had just gotten up. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in. He saw and believed. They did not understand from the scriptures that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot, and they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize it was Jesus. And he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, don't hold on to me. I have to ascend to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. So there's our, there's our story 
there's our declaration of what happens. So let's talk about Mary Magdalene for just a second. Who is she? Now, many people over the centuries have attributed to her things that the Bible does not attribute to her, particularly sins, particularly sexual sins. Gregory the Great in 591 said this, she whom Luke calls the sinful woman, whom John calls Mary of Bethany, we believe to be Mary from whom seven devils were rejected. That is Mary Magdalene of Mark. He combines all the women of the New Testament into one character. It's not, no need to do that. No need to do that. So what do we know about her? The things that are repeated about her, mainly two things. Her name, Mary Magdalene, which means she's from Magdala, which is on the western side of the Sea of Galilee. She's not from Bethany. And that Jesus cast out seven demons. Now, why is this important? Well, we live today in a therapeutic age. Do we not? We live in an age that we're just generations, just a few generations before you and I, People believed that there were issues called spiritual issues. You're not spiritually right. Today, it's not a sin issue, it's a sickness issue. Everything is reduced to sickness. But Mary's problem was not a sickness. It was uh, a spiritual issue. It was a demonic issue. And let's not assume for just a second, let's, don't, don't make this assumption that what Mary was enduring and what they called demonic was just something they didn't have a vocabulary for. Those people in the past that were so ignorant and dumb. My wife is not with me today. She's in Athens, Greece, with a friend celebrating a 60th. So I'm missing her greatly. But she said, I'm blown away at everything Greek. And I said, a very impressive group of people. Architecture, art, thought. It's a mistake to assume that People that came before us were ignorant and dumb. They were not. They were not at all. And when we say that Mary's illness, her spiritual problem was just, if we just kind of reject it, we do a couple things. We deny the biblical account that Jesus was actively involved in this. And we reduce the real problem. Matthew, we know Matthew, Mark, we know Mark, Luke, the third gospel, and John. Luke was a doctor by training. Now, let's assume he didn't have all the accumulated medical knowledge that we do, but he had some. And he was able to delineate between spiritual problems, physical problems, and mental problems. That is to say, not every sickness has a spiritual root, and not every mental illness has a demonic flavor. So just follow me here. What I'm trying to say is that Mary's thing was unique. Here's the way Luke said it. He's describing the ministry of Jesus and his healing. And he says this, Jesus cured many people of their sicknesses, physical sicknesses and diseases. If you look this verse up in different translations, that word diseases is going to get translated differently a lot. Tremor, shaking. It's, a, it's the mental illness. He cured people of their physical illness. He cured people of their mental illness. And he cast out demons. That's a spiritual problem. He delineates all the rest. Now, I don't understand, and the Bible doesn't tell us what, what it means to be oppressed by demons, but if you read the New Testament, you realize that she wasn't just out of her mind. She was out of control. 
She no longer had control of herself, her faculties, her desires. And Jesus came in and liberated her from that. Pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. He actually says in John chapter 10, verse 10, let me tell you what demonic forces try to do to your life, and let me tell you what I try to do to your life. Here it is on the screen. The thief, the devil, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Make no doubt about it. His end game is to destroy Mary Magdalene. But I have come that you may have life, and you might have it to the full. Jesus, I mean, Mary's life was so changed with her contact with Jesus, she was therefore ever present with him. She was just unbelievably attached to him. What happened to her was transcendent. Something out here came in and changed her life. And is that not what the resurrection is? Something out there comes in and disrupts history as we know it. And so she knew it very well, very well. She knew the power. And so she always wanted to be with Jesus. She always wanted to be near Jesus. She was part of a group of women that traveled with him, that supported him, that cared for him, and she wouldn't leave his side even as he died. She was at the cross when others fled and others denied. She's there. John 20, 11, going back to our story, now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. She wept. She bent over and she looked inside the tomb. She had experienced an amazing, transcendent liberation from spiritual bondage. But she wasn't looking for a spiritual solution. Like most of us, we wouldn't have gone, this is going to, he's just going to rise from the dead. Jesus had, ris had, had raised Lazarus from the dead a week earlier. But who is going to raise Jesus from the dead? And this is what's worrying her. Verse 12, she saw two angels in white seated at where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and one at the foot. She looks in, she sees this. She doesn't understand. Why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. How often when something goes missing do you assume somebody stole it? The more valuable it is, the more probable you think someone stole it right? That's just the way we work. Even if it's something odd that only has value to you, it's very valuable to me. Therefore, somebody stole it. It's just a normal conclusion. It doesn't make any sense why this wouldn't be here. And so she asked them, right? They've taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they've put him. Then she turns around, it says in verse 14, at this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. I don't know if in her grief she was just, her eyes were full of tears. I don't know in her grief if she was just so disoriented she didn't know. Maybe that mixed with the probability that she never thought she would see Jesus right in front of her in a body that was whole, not beating and not bloody as she had seen it just days before. Occasionally, because I'm, I'm on a platform and I'm in front of people, people will recognize me. We're on video now and people will recognize me. 
But if I'm in my rubber boots and shorts, my lawn attire, and I'm at the hardware store with my baseball cap on and some sunglasses, because I've been working in the yard, I can say hello to somebody and they have no clue who I am. Hey, Bob, how you doing? Fine. <laughs> Great. And then I take off the glasses so they can see my face and they're still backing up. I don't know you. And I take off the hat and I see the gray hair and they're like, why are you wearing rubber boots and shorts? They don't go together. I said, oh, it's my yard gear, right? <clears throat> so out of context, she didn't recognize him like it happens to so many of us. Then he asked her a question, the same question, and then a leading question. Verse 15, he asked a woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will get him. The one person on the planet who really knew her The one person that knew all about her, the darkest side of her, all of the stuff she doesn't want anybody to know, that one person is dead. And her heart is broken. All she wants to do is be with Jesus, even if it's just his corpse. That's what's going on. And we find Mary at the intersection right here in this moment at the intersection of the transcendent and the imminent. The God of the universe is going to come and speak to her personally. It's a, it's a powerful moment with the miraculous and the personal. The intersection of the intimate and the powerful. Maybe today you find yourself at the same crossroads, wishing to be known, wanting to be yourself. And the story of the resurrection helps us understand that with it comes transcendence and eminence both. If we throw one out, we throw them both out. Verse 16, and Jesus said to her, Mary, he did something that every person on the planet responds to. Every person on the planet responds to someone calling their name that they love and who loves them. Every person does that. I see it happen all the time. You can be in a crowded room and a parent will yell to a child and say their name and the children hear it. A loving spouse will call to their spouse and they will hear it and turn. It's powerful. We respond when someone who loves us calls our name and we know they love us. Many of us have been that lost child at the mall, in the store, frantically wondering where you are, totally disoriented. And then you hear your name. Then you hear your name, particularly called by someone who loves you, the sister that was supposed to be watching you, the brother that was in charge of keeping up with you, the parent that is now on the scene. And they say your name, and your heart immediately releases in its calm because someone who called your name, who knows you and loves you, this is, this is imminence, and this is it. Mary's in a panic. She's already crying. We already know she's confused because she didn't recognize Jesus. We already know that she feels like her world's been upside down. She has no idea what she's going to do next. 
She had banked everything on Jesus. And before her name, she was frantically looking in every direction. But at the sound of her name, she does something that we all do. She spun around. She turned around, it says in verse 16, toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni! And John tells us that means teacher. Once again, on that Easter morning, she's faced to believe the impossible, the transcendent, that the God of the universe would step into time and space and the intimate, that he would powerfully reach out to her and call her name. Because we all want to be known, to be seen, we desire to be accepted for who we really are, to be known and accepted for who we are. In our culture today, this is of top importance, to be known and accepted. People are going to the farthest extremes, right? To make sure that they, they live their authentic self, unapologetically being who they are, the best version of themselves. They don't care what anybody else might say. Because the highest virtue today is being authentic so that you might be known as this is me. And yet, there's something else going, in our, going on in our culture that continues to be kind of, un, people are like, what do we do with the rise of depression, the accelerating uh, through the roof of anxiety that people feel? It's off the charts. And I think deep down inside, we know, we know some of the problem. Sure, we want to be authentic. Sure, we want to be known, but not completely known. I don't want you to know everything. And more importantly, I don't want to know everything about you. <laughs> I don't want to know the dark stuff. I don't want to know the ugly stuff. And here, of course, is the problem. Because if you're completely known, then you step into the council culture and you're canceled. People walk away from you. The Bible calls some of that darkness that resides in us sin. The things inside of us that rebel against God and seek to be God and promote ourselves and try to define our world, it can be pretty dark at times. And if we're honest with ourselves, we know this, this shadow life of ours. And that's why when the Apostle Paul talks about the resurrection, this is what he says. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. And that's the issue. Without the resurrection, sins are never dealt with, never paid for, never fully seen, never forgiven. They're just roaming around in the back of our head and our hearts, trying not to make their way out. But through the death and resurrection of Jesus, Jesus both saw who we are. This is so important. He saw us. All of us. And he didn't ask us to come to him. He knew we couldn't, so he came to us. He left the throne of heaven and came down to us. And he stood in our place. Gosh. He didn't just want us to be our best version of ourselves. He stepped off the throne. He mounted a donkey. He rode into Jerusalem, and he died a brutal death for us, so that we might know him. The God of the universe sees you, all of you. Sometimes we think we can hide from God, but we can't. And you know what? He calls us by name. 
Without, without resurrection, there is no Christianity. And people are only trying to run around and show just enough of themselves to appear authentic while hiding a lot of themselves. Or they're going public with everything in them, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And you have to accept them just as they are. And they're disappointed when people reject them. This is where we live. This is the world we live in. And this is not a new problem. It has a new version, has a new feel, but everybody wants to be known. Everybody wants to be loved. Everybody wants their name called by somebody who knows them and loves them. And could it be the God of the universe? It makes no sense at all that the God of the universe would know me. When we consider co the cosmos, we consider the universe, we consider all that we know about the far reaches of the world, this blue ball that we live on seems so small and our existence on it even smaller. And so without the transcendent, we go, we're just dust passing through. But with the transcendent, the God of the universe somehow knows us and knows our name and calls it. This was the moment Mary faced. He gave... He then gave Mary an assignment in verse 17. He said, do not hold on to me for I've not ascended to the Father. Go instead to your brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. She was to go and tell others. She's the very first evangelist. She's called in history the apostle to the apostles. Unlike the other apostles, unlike the men that followed Jesus, she didn't deny him. She didn't abandon him. And not only that, she didn't observe the miracle. She was the miracle. She didn't watch Jesus transform somebody. She experienced Jesus transforming herself. That makes her uniquely qualified to talk about what transcends time and space, who transcends time and space. It makes her uniquely qualified to talk about the God who loves us because she was so deeply loved. She was the miracle. He called her by name. Let me, let me say it again. You were seen. You were known. And not only that, you're seen and known by the one who created you and loves you. You were seen and known by the one who created you and loves you. He knows every part of you the parts that you don't want anyone to see. And it drove him. It drove him to come and do something. Maybe like Mary Magdalene, your life is out of control by the dark forces of your life. Maybe they have more control of you than you think. Maybe they dominate your life. With love in his eyes, Jesus walks straight to the cross. He died an innocent death, an excruciating death, those sins in our life are not just things God doesn't like. Those are things that would keep us from him. And he says, I can prevent that. I want to know you. I want to be in relationship with you, personal relationship with you. And this requires transcendence. It's not just a, Jesus' death on the cross is not just an explanation of great leadership. He died in our place. He died in our place so that we wouldn't have to. And because of the resurrection, he comes near to us 
we can be just like Mary, looking around frantically, trying to understand what life means. But if you will stop and listen, would he call your name? Those of us who have flown on an airplane are encouraged to put our phones on airplane mode. When our phones are on airplane mode, they're no longer emitting or receiving a signal. I meet people, even Christians, that go through life on airplane mode. They're traveling around on airplane mode, and they're surprised that they never hear God because they have excluded the possibility of transcendence. They've excluded the possibility of imminence. They're not listening. They're not looking. This is the struggle of living in a modern age, is it not? We forget all around us. Could you imagine actually seeing all of the cell phone waves in this room and all of the conversations and texts that are going on? How overwhelming that would be? Right? How matrixy that would be if we could see it? We can't. And the resurrection is one of those moments in history where God steps in and says, I'm concerned about you. I came to this earth as a human to die on the cross for you. And the resurrection from the dead proves that. I want to know you and have made a way for you. If you will just simply believe, as it said in verse 8, John saw and he believed. Abram preached this morning out here by the lakeside. We have a living hope. Jesus is alive. As Andrew said, it's not just a better statistics. It's a confidence that Christ is alive and therefore life is worth living because he lives. I can face tomorrow. All fear is gone. What a great statement. You can face today. Easter is such a great time of celebration in the church where Jesus is victorious, but I want you to know that his victory was with you in mind. And I wonder if you might turn off the airplane mode of your life and you might ask God, would you meet me? Would you speak to me through your word? If I open it up, would you meet me there? I want to know you. He wants to know you. It's a matter of belief. And we turn off our airplane mode by saying, God, I believe that you're there, that you can transcend, and that you want to know me. And so here I am. Meet me. Forgive me. Welcome me. Call my name. Some of us cannot be still and quiet for a minute because of the thoughts that run through our head, because of the anxieties that we have that run wild, because of the fears that creep in. But wonder if you could just stop and listen for his voice to call your name. So I am saying something that is, you know, pretty far reaching when you consider it. There's a God in the universe that wants to call your name? Yes just like he called Mary's.
And when he does, you need to respond. And maybe, maybe it's right now. Maybe it's right before you came here. Maybe it's right after you leave. I don't know when it'll be. But when he does, you need to respond. And you need to say, I'm no longer going to trust in myself and my own abilities, my failures, my successes. I'm going to trust in you. And will he bring change to your life? Absolutely. Is it all at once like it happened to Mary? Probably not. It's probably gradual. But she was faced right here at this intersection on Easter. Does God transcend time and space and does he want to know me? The answers are yes and yes. Don't walk through life on airplane mode and be surprised you don't have a signal. Go through life, turn off your airplane mode and look for the signal. It'll come to you through his word, through his people and respond to it. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. We have a living hope that there's a God in this universe that wants to know me and you. And he has gone to great lengths to secure that. Let me pray for us. And then we'll transition into some song and baptism and uh, just a glorious morning. Pray with me. Father God, thank you so very much that you don't leave us on this blue ball and the the vastness of space all by ourselves to figure it out, that you have transcended time and space. You have made yourself known gloriously through your son, Jesus Christ, who didn't just come to make you known, but came to be a sacrifice for us that we might also know you intimately and personally. Lord, I pray for those here that desperately need to hear your voice call their name. Would you use your word? Would you use this day? Would you use the people of God? to express the love of God in their life. And if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ and desire to, do not put it off right here, right where you are, right where you're seated. With your head bowed, just say, Lord Jesus, today on this Easter Sunday, I put aside all my achievements and all my failures and I come to you open-armed and open-hearted and I believe that you died on the cross for me and that you rose from the dead to give me life. And so with all I understand about me, I entrust myself to all I understand about you. And I'm grateful that you have called my name, that you have included me in your forever family, that you have forgiven me and will fill me and will change me. And so I pray all of this in the wonderful and the powerful name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Thanks for joining us. To find out more about the chapel, visit thechapelbr.com.